You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Barker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for worship. I thank you for the the glorious presence because the Bible says that you inhabit the praises of your people. You alone are worthy and we give you all the glory and honor. And one day when we are in heaven, this will be dress rehearsal. I thank for pastors and worship leaders. There'll come a moment when they are surrounded by the mass of humanity, all worshiping and singing and voices that are perfect pitch, clear and concise and congregation of perhaps billions that will sing worthy is the Lamb. So Lord, we are in dress rehearsal. Uh, We are preparing for what we'll do for eternity and we'll never grow tired. And so Lord, we give you the glory and we pray now, dear Lord, as we look to your word, that Lord, you would speak to our hearts that Jesus, you would illuminate your word and and cause the power of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, to open up our hearts, make us sensitive to what you want to say to us today and when we leave this place to be forever altered and changed by what we've heard and what we've read. And we pray this, and Lord, we ask you, dear Lord, I ask you to cleanse me. Cleanse me of any word, any deed, anything, dear Lord, that might interfere with your ability to be able to use me today cover me by the blood of the lamb and let me be a tool in your hand and we pray this in the name of jesus amen amen you can be seated and i want you to take your bibles i love worship the kind of worship that uh, we need to put this in the form of an aerobic exercise because I don't know about you, but by the time I get through, I'm, I'm, I mean it. I have work, I've had a workout. But I want you to take your Bibles. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to skip today to Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And today is Father's Day, and I realize again that some people are out. They're traveling, and they've gone to see uh, their own dads and to be with their dads. If you can't do that today... I encourage you to call your dad, tell him Happy Father's Day. And um, if you've not had a very good dad, uh, maybe you need today to just forgive him and love him where he is. But Father's Day, you know, I thought about Hallmark. Hallmark said that years ago they put up a display, I think it was Hallmark, in a, a federal prison, in some of the prisons. And they did it at Mother's Day. And they gave prisoners the opportunity to to take a card free and send it to their mom on Mother's Day. They said that literally was unbelievable success. Every card was taken. And and afterwards they thought, man, this has gone so well. We'll try it again Father's Day. Now I want everyone to listen. On Father's Day, when they put the display out there, they said that in prisons across America, not one card was taken. And we live in a day where the vast majority, 58% of children born today are born into a single parent family. We're living in a day when a lot of times people, uh, when you bring up the idea of dad or father immediately, they're almost repulsed by it. It has made it even difficult for us to share the gospel. So this idea of dad is a, is a critical thing in our society today. I've just finished a while back reading the biography of Stephen Curtis Chapman. Anybody seen that biography? Wow, what a plain, honest, intimate, uh, just a transparency in the life of Stephen Curtis Chapman. The dynamics of his upbringing, the dynamics of his marriage, his home, his family, tragedies that have come, but he is blatantly honest. It is refreshing to read it. Stephen Curtis Chapman talks about a day when he was a boy. He said his dad had bought an above-ground pool. And he said they didn't have a lot of money, so his dad had bought this above-ground pool. He was setting it up, putting it together, working hard. 
And, and Stephen and said that Stephen Curtis Chapman said he and his brother were out there and they were, they were helping their dad. And they had that, you know, that, that net, that, that long pole with a net and you pick up the trash off the top of the water. So, so uh, he got that net and his dad was getting the pool ready. He just about had it ready. And uh, well, the dad, he did. He had, it, uh, he had it ready. He began to fill it up with water. And so Stephen Curtis Chapman said that he, he just a boy. He said he took that thing and he began to rake it across the bottom of that pool. Well, the pool didn't hardly have any water in it, and before long he bent it. And he knew that his dad was a no-nonsense, tough disciplinarian, and he knew that he was in trouble. So he tried to bend it back. When he tried to bend it back, it, 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 it broke at a certain point. So he tried to piece it together as best he could, but in the course of doing that, he jabbed the bottom of the pool and tore a hole in it. He said that when his dad saw that and saw what Stephen Curtis Chapman did, he just absolutely came unglued. He threw a fit. And he began to take out all of his anger, all of his frustration on Stephen Curtis Chapman. Now this is a guy that's won Grammy Awards. This is a guy that, let, let me tell you something, about his marriage, you're talking about a tough marriage, you're talking about a woman with baggage, you're talking about, listen, he opens up and shares things that would shock you. But he went on to make this statement. He said, in my life, he said, nothing broke me more. Just about nothing broke me more than the episode of that above ground pool when I was a boy, when my dad began to just unleash his anger on me and he said things to me that went all the way to the depth of my soul and affected who I believed I was even as a grown man. He said years later, he went to the Grand Old Opry. His dad dabbled in music. His dad also was a musician. His dad had also done some performance and had some opportunities. But his dad's career never took off. It never became what his, what his son's was. But his dad had dreamed of the Grand Old Opry. And years later, Stephen Curtis Chapman, in, a, in, a, in an encounter with his dad, told his dad how much his dad's verbal abuse that day had affected his life how it had changed him and affected him. His dad apologized. His dad said, son, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Stephen Curtis Chapman, fast forward, is one day at the Grand Old Opry. He's one of the features at the Grand Old Opry. It was a dream of his dad. He tells his dad, he says, dad, I want you to be there. And dad, I want you to, you know, in essence, he wanted his dad to be proud of him. Stephen Curtis Chapman said, his dad made the statement. He said, son, he said, as long as you're doing God's will for your life, I am proud of you. And that's all that matters. You know, in life, sooner or later, um, we're affected by authority figures, and probably a primary authority figure is a dad, and that's a frightening role to play. It's scary. Because when I read Stephen Curtis Chapman and I began to read that and I thought about the raising and the upbringing of my own four kids and I thought about my own temper and I thought about sometimes the short fuse that I have and I thought about how mad I could get and things that I could say, I immediately thought to myself, have I also damaged my kids? And every dad probably feels that way at times. Well, I've often said that if I go to heaven, when I get to heaven, and I will, when I get to heaven, one of the people that I will look forward to meeting is the individual that we're going to read about today because I think, he's a, I think he's a fascinating dad. Now, let me tell you something. First of all, my dad last week got me this watch. Everybody see this watch? You probably can read it from there. Now, my dad is an Advent listener to our website. He's always listening. And he, man, he loves Reggie. He'll brag on old Reggie. He said, man, I love to hear Reggie preach. But uh, anyway, he gave me this big watch. He, he looked at me. We were sitting at Primo's eating together, eating lunch on a Thursday. He said, son, he said, uh, do you wear a watch? And I said, no, sir, I don't. I said, I usually use my phone, but I never have my phone when I'm in the pulpit. And he said, well, son, I got you a watch. <laughs> and he said, I want you to wear it. Reggie, he got you one too. It's even got bigger numbers. <laughs> Reggie was smiling so big, I had to say that. <laughs> but I want you to stand, and I want us to read this together. 
And uh, Dad, I know you'll be listening later. I am watching this watch you gave me. And all the congregation is as well. In, in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, remember this is written by John Mark, right? Uh, John Mark's home was the place of the early church. John Mark is a fascinating individual, a young man. He was the cousin of Barnabas. He went with Paul on his first min, uh, missionary journey. He chickened out about halfway uh, and then went back home. And you remember Paul and Barnabas, they were even kind of split up over this personality called John Mark. John Mark is eventually discipled by Barnabas and eventually ultimately impacted, discipled by Peter. And so John Mark is writing from the perspective of the Apostle Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he said in verse 14, when they came to the, and when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought your son, my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He, he becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the, the spirit, but, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? He's often thrown himself into the fire, into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, well, Master, why couldn't we drive, drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can only come by prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, we praise you. And Lord, we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Anytime you look at Scripture, and you can be seated, you always have to ask about the context of the Scripture. Now, let me give you the context real quickly. Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, has been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He has been in a divine tribunal with Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, with Moses, the lawgiver, and it's as if Jesus is in, a, is in a conference call, as if he's in a meeting with Elijah and Moses. They're in the middle of, of something that is very critical, and I believe it's about Calvary, it's about the cross, it's about redemption and all of that. And, and the disciples, they're Baptists, they're about half asleep. And... Uh, they kind of wake up toward the end of it. They see the Shekinah glory. All of a sudden they see Jesus. And Jesus in some ways looks like Moses. His face just radiates the Shekinah glory of God. He has been in a divine tribunal. Heaven has been there. Heaven has come down on the mountaintop. 
But now they're going down to the valley. I had a man this past week, well, yesterday, he came to me. I preached to this church a few times, and he said, hey, I want to show you a picture of our new building. Well, it wasn't his new building. It was the entrance to the new building. And he said, I wanted to show you this. And he pulled up on the phone, walked in a public coffee shop. He was showing me all this. And I, I looked at him and I said, first thing out of my mouth is I said, how much did it cost? He looked kind of sheepish for a moment because he knows where I'm going with that. And he, he said, well, it, it, it cost about $3 million plus for the entrance. And uh, I thought to myself how often we find ourselves in the body of Christ wanting to be on the mountaintop with plenty of money, plenty of resources, comfortable coffee shops in the foyer where we simply walk in and we are catered to, we have a pleasant experience and then we leave and we go home and we live like we want. Sometimes the church wants to stay on the mountain. You know what Peter, James and John did when they woke up? Peter said, Lord, why don't we build tabernacles? Why don't we build some dwelling places on top of this mountain? Why don't we stay here? Jesus said, we can't. We've got to go back down in the valley where people are hurting and suffering. And so we come to this scene here, and you can see it unfolding in verse 14. When, the, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, teachers of the law, the scribes, the PhDs, the religious community. They were in a conversation with these nine disciples when all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And in, the, in, in, in verse 15, in the Greek, when it says that the people were filled with wonder, with excitement, what it really means is simply this. They were, if you translated the Greek, they were blown away. They could not believe at the strategic moment that Jesus shows up at exactly the right time. So they're just overwhelmed. And, 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 and there's a lot of confusion here because the disciples have been unable to heal this boy and, and, and the scribes and the Pharisees basically are heckling. They're laughing. They're making fun of them. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes into the scene. And, and the picture here is in the Greek. They're like, a, they're like teenagers who are chasing a rock star. They're just running and flocking all around Jesus. Jesus! And in verse 16, Jesus said, What are you arguing about? In verse 17, said, A man in the crowd came to Jesus. This is a dad. Notice, dads, that he's bringing his son to Jesus. Let me tell you something, dads, and those that may be listening on the website, your responsibility is to be the spiritual leader, the overseer, the bishop, the presbyter of your home. Your, your home is your congregation. You know, I often wonder, where was mom? And we never even hear mom. I, I, I think to myself, was mom so depressed, so discouraged in trying to take care of this boy that she finally just gave up? Did mom leave? You know, I think the, the hottest place in hell will be for parents that have abandoned their responsibility to take care of their children. So here you have... Uh, this man is, and the Bible says that the man in the crowd, a man in the crowd, answered and said, Teacher, he shouts, he said, Teacher, I, I brought my son to you who is possessed by a spirit that is robbed of speech. And let me tell you, look this way. In the Greek language, this is the only time this verse is, this wording is ever used where it talks about a physical health issue and a spiritual problem together. And it causes a lot of confusion. Because in essence, you see here, you see a demonic presence and you see a health issue and they're tied together as if they go together. J, uh, Matthew and Luke say that this man not only shouted, they said this was his only child. I think it's Luke. In Luke sec, uh, 17, Luke says that he, he notes that this is this man's only child. The Bible said that he fell down. In Matthew, I think he falls down and he cries out and he calls him Lord. He's a, he, he, in some ways, appears to believe in Jesus. And he begins to give this 
information. He said, teacher, I, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Now look at the next wording there in verse 18, whenever it seizes him. Everybody look this way. If you're a parent, you need to understand this. You've got an enemy, and the enemy is not after you. The enemy is after the children that you are trying to raise right now. And what this man is saying to Jesus, he's saying, Jesus, my son is living in bondage to the control of the enemy. Some of you in this room have children that are grown, that are breaking your heart, and you know that they are being controlled and manipulated and maneuvered by your enemy, the devil. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity, whatever it may be. And so this man says it seizes him. He's talking here about an evil spirit, a demonic spirit. He says it seizes him. It throws him to the ground. It foams at the mouth. It gnashes his teeth. Uh, he gnashes his teeth and, and he becomes rigid. And it sounds to me, Dwayne, like a grandma seizure, what they call a grandma seizure. I remember when I was working with the ambulance service and even as a field medical officer, I remember my first time with somebody who, had, who was having a grandma seizure. We were called to a scene right in the middle. I think it was Main Street in Yazoo City. We were called to this scene. It was a main thoroughfare. And there was a person who was collapsed. They were in the middle of a seizure. And they were having what we would call a grandma seizure. The first thing you have to do is you have to get and you have to control their movement. If you try to pin them down, their, their, the muscle spasms, the movement is so severe that if you pin them down and not allow them to move, they can break their own bones. The second thing you're doing is trying to secure their tongue. You're putting something in their mouth and you better not put your finger. And I remember my first episode with this when I got out. I probably weighed, probably weighed about 190. I was a lot heavier, muscular, good shape. Get down on this individual, and it was a woman. And I got down, and I began to try to control her limbs as she was in this fit, in this seizure, and trying to somehow secure her tongue in such a way that she would not bite her tongue in two. When you read this, it almost sounds like that. Now look at the next part of verse 18. Do you see it? The last sentence, he said, I ask your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but what? But they could not. Go back, look at Mark chapter 6, because this is unusual. In Mark chapter 6, at about verse, um, well, middle of verse 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 6, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He calling the twelve to him, his disciples. He sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority over what? Over what? Over evil spirits. And you look at this and you think, well, now wait a minute. Going here to, to Mark chapter 9, verse 18, it said here that I ask your disciples, this man said, I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Why? You know, there's been a lot of different preachers that preach on this passage. You know what most, most preachers go at this point? They go to the church. And the reason they go to the church is because so often this is where the church fails. People come with their needs, their heartache, their pain, their suffering. People bring those that they love. And the reality is, is the church is impotent, unable, powerless, unable to infect and affect people's lives. When you look at this, this dad is hopeless, this dad is helpless, this dad is at the end of his rope. And now he's disappointed. So here you have dad, and in verse 19, watch what Jesus says. He, he, he says, oh, <laughs> you know, he, oh, you know, and oh is not a, a, good, a good thing. It's kind of like a parent that goes, oh, what have y'all done now? <laughs> oh. uh, you ever walk in sometimes and the kids have done something and you just look at me, oh, oh my. Jesus just goes, oh, unbelieving generation. 
How long shall I stay with you? You get the feeling here that there's frustration on the part of Jesus. How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Because really that's all we can do, isn't it? Let me tell you something, folks. All that we do is to take the gospel to to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Listen, if we're not doing that in Bible school, if we're not doing that in camp, if we're not doing that in baseball camp, if we're not doing that every day of our life, then we're failing. Bring the boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground. He began to roll around. He was foaming at the mouth. And, and, and the picture here is, you know, John MacArthur said this. I thought it was good. John MacArthur said that Jesus looks this boy in the eyes. And when he looks him in the eyes, the window of the soul, he sees a demonic presence looking back. Have you ever looked at somebody and you felt uneasy? You just felt uncomfortable? We had an individual this past week, we had, we had some guys, that you just tell, they were up to no good. And one of them looked at me, had a cigarette behind his ear, and uh, just kind of had an attitude. He had a real attitude. And I was uneasy. And the Bible says that when Jesus looked at this boy, he saw literally a demon because the demon saw Jesus. And what did the demon do? It began immediately to take this boy and convulse him. Let me say this. This is a principle you and I can never forget. The enemy will never give up his territory without a fight. Never. Whatever habit, whatever hang-up, whatever hurt, whatever bitterness, whatever difficulty, whatever unforgiveness, whatever sin, whatever sin which does so easily beset you, whatever it may be going on in your life, where the enemy is trying to get a stronghold in your life, understand this, he will never give it up without a fight. And let me tell you something, parent of a grown child who may be living in rebellion, you can get ready for a fight, and the only way you're going to be able to fight it is on your knees in prayer. That's it. You know, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, Alicia, you're lucky. She's married to my son. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. But let me tell you why Alicia's lucky. And she's not lucky. There's a divine God that watches over her, and she's a precious follower of Christ. Alicia, I pray for you several times through the day. <laughs> you need it. Three boys, you need it. You know, uh, Megan, I, I pray for Megan, mother, daughter, and all, several times through the day. I, play for, I pray for Corey, Emily's husband, several times through the day. I pray for Matt, several times through the day. Let me tell you something. I pray for you. If there's anything that I wish I'd have done more as a parent, I wish I'd have prayed more. And if you're here today and you're worried about a child and you feel like there's nothing else you can do, let me tell you this you can do. You can pray for your child like you've never prayed before. And it doesn't matter what age they are. And so the boy is brought to Jesus. The spirit, the demonic spirit, immediately throws the boy into convulsion as if to intimidate Jesus, as if to say, you're not going to get him without a fight. Jesus asked that. This is strange. I love this. Jesus asked the father, he says, he never does this. I mean, Jesus is the kind that's always, you know, just says the word, tells the centurion, go home, your servant's well. Shows up at uh, Jairus' house and heals his daughter. Woman touches the hem of his garment, healed. I mean, Jesus is kind of, you know, quick, you know, uh, touches lepers, they're healed. Speaks to the blind, they get sight. Touches the lame, they walk. But in this case, he goes up to the father and he puts his, I think he puts his hand on his shoulder. I think he's trying to calm him. Because this guy's at the end of his rope. He puts his hand on the father's shoulder and he says, this is so weird. How, how long has he been like this? You know, with the Africans, you remember, when I asked how do I tell them the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And the old African Mufundus Janus said, Mwade, meaning God. Nyama, he was holding a jacket. He said, Akafeka. He said, Mwade, Akafeka, Munyama. God put on the flesh of man, invaded his creation. This God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God is asking the Father, a sovereign, omniscient, all-knowing God. How long has he been like this? From childhood. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. My brother, there's special needs. An interesting character in many ways. I remember when I was a boy, my dad, who worked for NASA, was they were fairly well off and could see to my brother's needs. And they had heard of a school down in Miami that dealt with special needs kids and might be able to help my brother. I remember my dad and my mom and my brother and I, we were in an old Ford, 1962 Ford, uh, Ford Galaxy. Big wings, you know, looked like a spaceship getting ready to take off. And we were heading on down to Miami and we went down to the school. Looked around that school and man, I was sick, sick in my stomach. Please. Please don't leave my brother here, Mike. Dad and Mom looked at it, talked to the officials, and looked at it. it was a boarding school that Mike would live in, and he's only 18 months younger than I am. And they looked and examined every part of the school, the curriculum and the, the living accommodations, where they'd eat, where they'd sleep. They went through all of this because my brother had problems. I didn't know what they were going to do. We got into the car on our way back north, heading back to Titusville. As we were making our way, my dad said, and I'm sick at my stomach sitting in the back seat. My dad said, I'd never put my son in that school. <laughs> Man, look, I ain't never been so happy. My dad said, we'll figure this out. But he won't stay there. But I'd watch my dad a lot of times cry and be at the end of his rope. Because my mom with her psychiatric issues, my dad dealing with my younger brother, the weight was heavy. I get a feeling here this dad's heart is breaking. He says from childhood, 24-7, I can't turn my back on him. I mean, if I turn my back, he, he's as apt to throw himself into a fire, in a convulsion. If I turn my back, he's as apt to throw himself in the well because that's where Jews got their water. They, they, they went down in a well. And he said he's a 24-hour a day, seven days a week, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's killing me. And Matthew tells us, Luke says, that he's on his knees. He's on his knees looking up to Jesus. He said, Jesus, if there's any way you can help us, have pity on us and help us, Lord, because we come to the end of our rope. I love Jesus here. If he's on his knees, I think Jesus gets down there. He said, if I can. <laughs> if I can. You're looking at God in the flesh. I believe he picked the Father up. And the Bible says here, Jesus in verse 23 said, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible. Look at that, underline that, dog ear your page, write in your Bible, circle that, turn the page down. Because Jesus says everything is possible. For him who believes. Every one of my grandchildren called through the day several times a day that they will rise up and be great men and women of God, each of them uniquely gifted. 
Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And this is why I'll find this man in heaven and I will hug his neck for the next sentence because we've all been there discouraged and defeated, hopeless and helpless, and it seems like everybody has turned their back, and we're sitting there still wrestling and dealing with our child. Maybe they're a grown child, and we feel like we've just come to the end of our rope, and we don't know where else to turn. And Jesus says, listen, pray to me. Trust me, believe, believe. And this man says, and remember, he's on his knees. When Jesus says everything is possible to him who believes, he just says, oh, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. Undoubtedly, Lord, I don't have enough faith. If faith is the key, if, if believing is the key, then I don't, I don't have enough, God. Because I believe, I have faith. But it's not enough. I'm at, I'm at the end of my rope. Where's mom? She left. She got so depressed that she committed suicide. She'd take her life. Did she leave him, abandon the family? Had she finally given up? Had she, could she not take it anymore? So he says, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus, when he saw, verse 25, the crowd running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. Boy, don't you love this? You almost get the feeling that he's a little angry now. Now he's with the boy who's in the middle of a convulsion. And he's over there much like I was with that woman with that grandma seizure. And he looks at this boy and he looks him right into the eye, the window of his soul, and he says, you deaf and mute spirit, you come out of him right now. And don't you ever enter him again. Sheila and I, two weeks ago, went to St. Dominic's Hospital to sit with a couple, 31-year-old young lady who had been married two weeks, who two weeks after her wedding, one week after getting back from her honeymoon, found out she has a brain tumor and outside of a miracle. God only knows what will happen to her. I've often thought to myself, sometimes God gives us a child that keeps us on our knees. Sometimes God gives us a situation, a circumstance, an ailment, a disease, a difficulty or something, because it keeps us on our knees until we work out this thing of prayer. So here you have Jesus speaking to this figure, uh, this demon, this demonic presence. Verse 26, the spirit shrieked, this boy would often shriek and cry out in pain. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. Let me tell you, parent, some of you are battling the enemy for your child. Do not give up. Say to God, God, I'm struggling. God, I don't know. God, my faith is little, but God, I need you to help me. God, I'm not going to give up. Because your enemy is going to do everything he can to hang on to whatever territory he controls. And the Bible says that the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that the crowd thought he was dead. Back began to whisper, he's dead. He's dead. And Jesus walks over. Imagine God in the flesh taking your hand, reaches down, picks up his hand, lifts him up, stands him on his feet. What a reunion. Henry Blackaby said and told us that when uh, he had, I think, two sons, 
One son was a rebel, a prodigal, a rebellious son and was breaking the heart of his parents. He told us this in Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya, to a group of missionaries. 120 missionaries stood up and said they had a prodigal. 120 Southern Baptist missionaries of about 250, nearly half of them had a prodigal. And Henry Blackaby said that he had a prodigal. He, he didn't know what to do with him. He's wearing him out. He did everything. Until finally one day he said a call came and it was his other son. And he said, Dad, I just want to call you and let you know. He said, my brother is getting his life right with Christ. Don't, don't give up. And the Bible says that afterwards Jesus went inside and when he got inside the disciples said, you know, Lord, back a while back we could, we could manhandle these demons. Why couldn't we do it this time? Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. God, watch over my kids. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, God is great, God is good. I'm not talking about some simple prayer that you go to. Let me tell you something, parent, and let me tell you, young parents, it's you and I interceding on behalf of our children, whether they're grown or whether they're a toddler. Because I can tell you, young parents, the movement of our society and the direction that we're going, you better be on your knees praying like you've never prayed before. Brian and Courtney will be praying for Elam's wife, now. Well, Jesus said this kind only comes by prayer. And Dad, I've got to close. There's, there's two things, that, there's two things that illustrations one out of Stephen Curtis Chapman's book. The other is one that I love because this dad, you get the feeling that this dad loved his son dearly. He had a protective nature over his son. He cared about his son, but he needed Jesus to touch his son. And I thought about it, he was protective. And everybody looked this way. Everybody looked this way. I love the story of the Indians. This particular Indian tribe in the, in the maturation process of moving a boy from childhood to adulthood, they had a place, they had a particular ceremony. They would go out into the woods and they would take a, they would take a circle and, 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 a, and the dad with a group of the elders out of the tribe, he would go out and he would make a circle out in the middle of the woods, in the middle of bears and, and wolves and, and all the predators of the woods. He would draw a circle and they would take this boy, probably about a 11 or 12 years of age and they would set him in the middle of that circle and they would tell him he would be a man if he would remain there all night. So here you got a little 12 year old kid, 11, 12 year old kid, maybe even younger in that day and he's just sitting there in the middle of that circle and he's absolutely frightened to death. He's shaking. He can hear the sound in the, that part of the country, he can hear the sound of the wolves. He can hear the movement in the woods. He begins to, and darkness settles down. And they don't do it on a full moon. They do it in the dead darkness of, of the worst time of the month. And here this boy is. And he's shaking. And he's afraid. He's, he, he stays in that circle. He can't move out of that circle, but he's frightened. He's afraid. And finally, he's wrestling. He can't sleep. He can't sleep. It's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. And finally, he just collapses and he falls asleep. At the first break of dawn, when the boy wakes up, when the boy wakes up, he looks and his dad is standing with his bow and an arrow drawn. And the dad has been there all night, guarding, protecting, watching over his son. And when the boy wakes up and he begins to move around and he rubs his eyes, he sees his dad, his father, watching over him and has been there. That's how much Jesus loves you. 
Stephen Curtis Chapman tells this story. It's called in his book, The Accident. In the book, The Accident, if you remember, Stephen Curtis Chapman had, uh, he had biological children. He has two sons and, and a daughter. And they adopted three girls from China. The youngest girl, just a delightful personality, just a joy to have. They have such a heart. They built such a ministry. I have two, I have two Chinese granddaughters. I mean, grandsons, so I understand this idea of grandchildren from China. I have two grandsons. But anyway, Stephen Curtis Chapman said, Will Franklin, his second oldest son, was coming in one day. Stephen Curtis Chapman said he was on the porch. He was talking to his aide. He was talking to his manager. And they were talking. And the kids were out back and they were playing. And, and, and Mary Beth, his wife, was inside. Everybody was busy. Everybody was about their day. And he was talking on the fellow's telephone when Will Franklin, his one son that was away, was coming down the driveway. And the driveway went, uh, wound around the house. And, and he said, Will Franklin's coming down in this old land cruiser that they had bought him. When all of a sudden, Stephen Curtis Chapman said, I could hear the sound of kids screaming. The youngest Chinese little adopted daughter, the newest one, the youngest to the family, was so excited to see Will Franklin. And as Will Franklin was coming down the driveway, she was running to meet him, and Will Franklin ran over her and killed her. Stephen Curtis Chapman said, he, 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 he told, I think the guy's name was Jim, he said, Jim, I've got to go, something's wrong. And he went running around there, and there, I think his wife's name is Mary Beth, there was Mary Beth cradling in her arms her, her, her little daughter and just weeping. She put her down, and Stephen Curtis Chapman said he began to do CPR, but he knew she was already gone. They came, they met a vector, but she was gone. The scene that got me the scene that got me out of everything was Will Franklin. Will Franklin is covered in blood because he's done everything. He's reached down. He was the first one screaming and calling. And all of a sudden, he just lost it. And Will Franklin is running across this. They, they live kind of out in the rural area in the country. And he's running to the pond, to the lake. And he's running with everything in him. And he's covered in blood. And he's running as if he's going to commit suicide in the lake, in the water, when all of a sudden his brother, the older brother, I think it's Caleb, Caleb is chasing his younger brother and he chases him and he dives for him and he wraps him up in his and he throws him to the ground. And Will Franklin has collapsed and he's weeping and crying. And I'll never forget this one moment. It's called The Accident in the book. He said that Caleb, the older brother, was trying to rip the shirt from Will Franklin's body that was covered in his sister's blood as if to say, because Will Franklin said, oh, I don't, he was just crying uncontrollably. He said, I can't take this shirt off. And Caleb said, I won't let you do this to yourself. And he's trying, this scene, he's trying to rip this blood-covered garment from his younger brother's body. Stephen Curtis Chapman said, by that time they had medevaced his daughter, and he said, he'll never, he said, thank God as a dad. He said, I rolled down my window, I told my, I saw my two sons collapsed, and he said, I shouted to Will Franklin, who had caused the accident, he, he said, I said, Will, your dad loves you. Let me tell you something, every person in this room our sin put Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood is there because we put it on him. But let me tell you what he does. He rips that sin-soiled garment from our body and he says, I won't let you live with this. You're free. Past sin, present sin, future sin, covered by the blood of the Lamb. I'll not let you do this to yourself. And the Father shouts from Jesus, Your daddy loves you, regardless of the crime. Wow. 
Let's stand and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us beyond anything that we could ever imagine. We thank you, dear Lord, that though we are covered in, in, in the filth and grime of sin and rebellion, that Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1, we are, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins and our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags before a holy God. We thank you that, Lord Jesus, you have taken all of our sin, all of our rebellion, and you have nailed it to the cross of Calvary. You have covered our sin with your blood. And when our Heavenly Father looks at us, He does not see the sin, the rebellion, the skeletons in our closet. He does not see any of that. He sees His Son, Jesus. He shouts to everyone in this room, everyone who listens by the website, I love you, your daddy loves you. I won't let you wear that garment anymore. The older brother is ripping it away from us. Jesus. Wow, what a name. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus. Oh, Simon Jane of that Zimbabwean, when he said, Mwadi Akafeka Munyama, that's Jesus. That old Muslim in England who said there's only one historical figure that would look like God invading his creation. That's this Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we love you. And Lord, we pray right now if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl in this room who has never given their life to you, who if they died today do not know where they'd spend eternity, and without Jesus, we, can't, we don't have a prayer. Without Jesus, we go to hell. Without Jesus, we are covered in our sin. But with Jesus, He pulls those garments away and covers us in the robes of righteousness. And when God sees us, He sees His Son, Jesus. But God has to be invited in. He has said to us, because He loves us, I'm not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance but we must repent of our sin and say Jesus come in forgive me take this garment away Lord I don't want to carry it anymore so Lord we pray today if there's one here that needs to give their life to Jesus Christ that they'll do it even now that they'll cry out and say Lord Jesus I am a sinner I've made a mess of my life. But you love me. You've chased me down. You've brought me to my knees. And you've said, let me cover that. Let me take that garment away. So Lord, I pray if there's one here that is not a Christian, they would say, Lord, I repent of my sin. Come into my heart and forgive me. And I pray, dear Lord, that they mean it, that they come publicly and they say, I did this today. For others in this room, it may be to recommit, rededicate, slipping back into old habits, old patterns of misbehavior, old attitudes, old sins, old strongholds. May they be set free today, recommitting, rededicating, leaving it here at the altar. There's some hurting parents here. May they just come to this altar, not, not to me. May they just come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to give up. Lord, I put my child in your hands. God, do whatever you'll do. Young parents that may need to come and say, Lord, we want to give them to you while we're able to do that, while they're young. Protect our children. God, speak to our hearts, and we pray this in the name of Jesus.